Hi, I'm Clara, and this is the Practice with Clara podcast, where we go into philosophy and all things yoga related, which has been my passion for the last 20 years. In today's episode, we answered questions from the 30 Opportunities Yoga Challenge that we're wrapping up this week. We answered some of the questions that came up, which were the difference between stability and mobility in yoga poses and yoga bodies. We defined what self-care was, and if you're new to yoga, what should you study first? We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Practice with Clara podcast. You're sitting with Stephanie. And Clara. For our chat this week on fire. And we are, um, this is a great theme for our final week of the 30-day challenge. Yep, it ends, yep. ends in two days. We made it through the month. Um, yeah, Clara, how was it for you? Let's just go with that. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it was so interesting because I haven't done a 30-day challenge in probably, I would say like five years. And uh, I have a different life now. And so uh, when I could make it to the mat, I did. And it's so interesting because I generally, I personally, before I was a parent, uh, would practice the first thing in the morning. And that's just not the case right now. So we would practice last thing at night. And so that was a very different, it was interesting. It was interesting to do yoga at night, like when it's dark out and we just ate dinner or whatever. And have the motivation to... Because if it's dark, too, I'd be like, meh, maybe we don't do it today. Yeah, there was definitely one class where we ate dinner and watched the class. I remember you you wrote it. You were like, we had pizza. Yeah, it was like we were starving and we just, it took that long for our baby to go down. So, c'est la vie. Um, but I loved it and it was so nice to come back to the mat and it was uh, interesting to take my own classes for 30 days. And so, uh, yeah, I'm thankful. How about you? Yeah, I... It was interesting doing it online because I don't think I've ever done a 30-day challenge online. I've signed up for them but haven't done them just because it lacked um, – everything was through email. So there was no really way to stay accountable and connected with others, which is a big part of staying in the challenge for yes. the full duration is having the community. So it was nice having the Facebook group as a touch point because I don't, I don't know if I would have made it through. Well, I haven't in the past – um, yeah, lots came up. I'd say fire is a good way to kind of ground in the theme for the 30 days, just with how nice out it's been. And I got to practice outside, mm. um, and connecting to your inner fire and discipline to, to, to stick with it. Cause I needed that a couple times. Same. And also the other part about that is also being forgiving, at least for myself when I didn't, when I wasn't able to make it, there were definitely a couple of days where. Um, we just, you know, by the time, um, our, our baby went down, it was like 1030 and it's like, yeah. at this point I need to shower. I still have like other, I have like regular life to do. So, um, it was also important for me to work on, on forgiveness for myself for not making it sometimes. And that the yoga, sometimes the yoga is forgiveness. Yep. So that's, uh, that was a, that was a good, yeah, it was a good learning for, for us. And I feel like part of the reason I probably also could commit and stay in this is because of how you paced the classes. Cause by Friday, like you're a little bit whipped, but because you offered mantra or meditation or a slower class, I looked forward to Friday instead of having that dread that starts to accumulate where you're like, Oh, my legs are sore. Yes. I did this yesterday. Like maybe you're anxious and you don't want to sit down. I hit all of those points. Yeah. But Friday for me was always a, moment to look forward to because yes. I knew it was going to be super gentle not a very long practice mm -hmm. maybe 10-15 minutes yeah. um, 
So it was great. Friday was a really good day for me. And what I loved that some people actually did on the Facebook group is they actually personalized it. So they would look at the week. They would look at the week in terms of the schedule of the classes, and then they would look at their own schedule. And some people actually moved the classes around, which I thought was so so perfect because, again, um, why we did such a variety of classes is we show up feeling differently every single day. So I wanted to kind of anticipate that to the best of my ability, obviously, um, of how I would be feeling 15 days in or what have you. But in the same breath, it was like amazing that people looked ahead and was like, actually I did, you know, day 15 on day 13 and I moved things around still sticking with doing yoga every day, but just uh, personalizing it for their own life, which I think is amazing. And that I would say is the gift of the virtual 30 day challenge. Cause I've never done one either Um, online. I've only ever done them at the studio. So I loved, I love that. And and what's cool about that and not cool at the same time is that, you know, what kind of class, like I I had labeled them like leg arm balances or whatever like that. So you had a sense. And so, yeah, you could kind of pace yourself and know how to take care of yourself throughout the week, which I loved. Yeah. And get get there when you could, because I've done 30 day challenges through a studio, which has its bonuses of coming together with people in a shared space, but also timing of getting to that place Mm -hmm. can sometimes be a deterrent. When it's online, you just roll out your mat whenever serves. If it's 10.30 at night after your baby goes to bed and you've ordered pizza or... Exactly. You do it when you can. And that, yeah, that yeah. was the perfect thing. Though I miss being in community. I mean, it was yeah. Alejandro and I, so um, so we had our mini community. But uh, yeah, the community online was, was so active and so amazing. So thank you to all yeah. of those um, who participated in the Facebook a discussion it was awesome and one of the things that I loved about the Facebook group is because uh, I practice later in the day it's when my body likes to move and it's more cleansing but I would read people's comments just out of curiosity to see what people are sitting Same. with uh, and one of the classes because usually I Claire has playlists with the class but I usually do it just the words and would listen to the ocean or the wind yeah just so the the sidebar that is that the playlists are on Spotify so um, all the classes that are on the site are just my voice and then you have the option if you want to to have a playlist with them so that's what Steph's talking about right now so but you have to you have to go get the playlist and uh, and access it so yeah, so that's so you've been you were just listening to just the voice and no playlist. Yeah, but then there was one class oh, specifically yes. where everyone was writing about how dope that day's playlist was, and it totally was. Um, so I went and listened to the playlist and added it, but you could kind of get a feel of what was going on with everyone and what was in the class based on the feedback that yeah, people were totally. sharing, which was so cool to be in that scene because you can kind of like oh what what's what's in the class what are people sitting with and also through the journaling prompts because you offered a journaling prompt with every class there were two times where I myself was sitting with like just lethargy heaviness Mm -hmm. wasn't feeling myself that day and then the feedback that came out around that it's cool witnessing like I'm not alone sometimes the energetic current it's not just something you're carrying, it's yeah. bigger than it's, you, yeah. and everyone's feeling the same thing, which is interesting in the virtual challenge, because I don't think you would have that intimacy. I haven't in a yoga challenge in a studio. You walk in, you do the class, you listen to the teacher, you leave. You're yes. not going to dish with the entire room. 
And just kind of building on that, the time that we usually hear about as teachers, um, the feedback in terms of that would be at the end of the challenge, we usually have a closing circle mm. at the studios. Um, and so we essentially have been having one virtually every single day. And so one thing that I'll say is also really cool as a teacher is that people, we also give the space for people to ask questions. And so there were some really great questions, anatomical questions and sequencing questions that came up um, that I was able to answer right away uh, yeah. on the on the um, page, which generally doesn't happen because usually people just leave, like you said, yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So A, it's nice. It was, it was nice to get feedback in terms of how the classes felt in people's bodies. And then B, I really enjoyed uh, that people asked questions yeah. and then I was able to, to answer them. So that's cool. And that that's actually the theme that we're tying into our talk today. Just to wrap up the challenge and um, bring in some of the questions that people brought up, just because they're awesome questions. And it's relevant. We've done the, the practice. It's in our bodies. So to kind of hash it out and talk about it. So I'll read the first yes, one. Yes, please. Um, Clara, your practice has obviously evolved over the years with gained awareness and experience. You mentioned in one of your classes that you did not do hero pose for a while and you're now adding it back into your personal practice. So I'm just going to side by that because I put four, I put three classes together in one week that all had hero and camel, which are two poses that I actually, I don't teach a lot of, but some of the classes I had shot maybe about seven years ago and then some classes I shot last year. So it was interesting uh, having them like literally, so I had posted on the, on our discussion page, like how's everybody feeling about the hero to camel? Cause I generally don't teach them, but I brought them, I like I brought three classes together that have that it's like, like exact sequence. Day after day. Yeah. And yeah. then the next week was all twisting, which was, that was, that was definitely on purpose, but Anyway, sorry, yeah. keep going. So um, I'm really interested in the whole topic of this evolution in your practice. What have you come up with in terms of various postures or practices that you would not recommend that seem to be very popular or vice versa? What did your personal practice reveal about more beneficial elements and something that we could be doing more of? For example, there's lots of discussion now that pigeon pose could make it worse for you if you have hip problems or tight hips. Totally. Clara also mentioned in the Barcelona class bringing in hip or thigh strengthening elements as there are not many of these in traditional yoga. Could you please share your views and knowledge based on your experience and this deep understanding? We could talk about this for like four hours. Yeah. That was like such a good question. Such a good question. I'm going to first just touch on the pigeon because I thought that was a good one. So um, I don't teach pigeon actually. I, I think I teach pigeon once every six months in a regular yoga class. I don't teach it anymore. It's actually not, it's, it's not super healthy for the knees because you're in deep flexion and external rotation at the same time. So, um, if you have any knee sensitivity, which is a large part of our population, especially those of us who are over 35 slash 40, um, uh, it's inevitably happens depending upon, you know, how much exercise you're doing or, or, um, sports knees are one of the first ones to kind of, um, feel the brunt of, of intense, of intense, uh, exertion. So I don't generally teach pigeon pose actually anymore for that reason. I teach thread the needle or double pigeon or cow face because with all of those, generally your knee doesn't go past 90 degrees. So it's not in, uh, it's not in very deep flexion and it's not in very deep extra. Well, it's in mild flexion with external rotation. So flexion being the bending of the knee and then external rotation, meaning if this was my uh, knee, right. And this is my hip, I'd be going out to the side like that. So yeah. that's external rotation. Um, cause knees are just meant to literally extend and, uh, and flex, right? Um, so that adding that external rotation adds a bit of torque. So it's just not so great. And we like, I learned that, you know, through 
studying a lot of anatomy, but I'll tell you, like, 15 years ago, everybody, like, I was in, every class had pigeon bows. And what would you say of the, of the hips in pigeon? Is it, is it a hip thing? Uh, well, so the rule of thumb generally is if you feel pain in your knee, it's something that's going on in your ankle or in your hip. Mm. <laughs> ankle and hip. I hope you like that this is my, <laughs> that my arm has now become my leg. <laughs> um, but um, it, yeah, it can be. It can be. So if you have, it, depending on how tight your glutes are, right, in terms of range of motion, because it's a glute opener, it's mm-hmm. a butt opener. And so if your glutes are really, really tight and then you're trying to go into this, then your knee, uh, you won't have, yeah, you won't, well, you won't have as much uh, rotation in the knee because there isn't that flexibility at the top, right? Yeah. Meaning where the femur bone uh, connects into the hip. So, uh, yeah, so pigeon pose would be one that I I don't recommend, especially if you have any knee stuff. Um, People who have uh, generally have had hip replacements and things like that, it's not recommended. They do throw the needle or other things. So... And playing devil's advocate, because I'm really flexible, I don't feel anything in pigeon pose because of the way. But then when I get into even um, deer pose. Yeah, 90-90. 90-90 legs. Yeah. The angle of my hips is getting into the deeper outer thigh muscles that I, I don't feel in pigeon. Because yes. I think my knees are so flexible and I can just drop my pelvis and get in, Yes. and I don't feel anything. Yes. Versus if I do a lesser pose or thread the needle on my back, yes. I can feel way more. Yes, and the biggest thing, so the rule of thumb also with people who are very open in their pelvises, mm-hmm. which Steph and Clara are both, um, and sometimes I talk about myself in the third person, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> both of us are very uh, open in the pelvis, so if you're very open in the pelvis, then we actually don't want to be opening, we want to be engaging, mm-hmm. right? So you, we would still be doing pigeon pose, but it would be an inner thigh engagement more so than yeah you'd be hugging yeah. in and up versus going down so that's uh so something to think of is that those of us who come to the practice with a lot of stability so those of us who are strong meaning the muscles are shorter right they're gonna your focus is to open is to do stretching is to open up those uh those muscles and then those of us who come to the um practice with a lot more mobility, meaning a lot more flexibility, there's a lot more movement in the muscles, then we want to work on strengthening. And less is more. Yeah. You've said that before, do less as opposed to going into the deepest. Yeah. And those of us who are flexible are naturally going to want to go deeper because it feels good. It's Mm -hmm. our natural range of motion. So we're like, ah. And uh, because of that, at least for me, I've had almost every injury in the book because I just went I went big or I went home, and I generally went home with injuries. I was like, you went home. Yeah, I went home with injuries. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if, you, if you're if you working with a lot of mobility, a lot of flexibility in your body, you actually want to be shortening the poses. You want to be hugging in and up and drawing up, specifically in the inner thighs and the, in the legs. And those of us, again, like I have hyper range of motion in my shoulders, I actually want to go smaller in the movements in terms of my arms just to protect the girdle itself, the shoulder girdle. So the, those were, I would say that the, one of my biggest learnings was that flexibility or mobility, what they call it in PT is like mobility versus stability, right? And how to move or how to do particular poses in order to stay quote unquote safe. So then that's pigeon. Go into um, the comment where this, the, the writer asked about hero pose. Yes. Okay. So um, hero pose, and maybe we'll put a po- we'll put a photograph in, in the write up so that we have it yeah. uh, for you guys, so that you're able to just in case you don't know what hero pose looks like. Um, so hero pose, I pretty much stopped doing it for probably about five years in my own body. Earlier in your practice, or no, later? I would say I would say after I shot those those uh, those pieces in Thailand. So probably about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I've been practicing for about 20 years because at that point I was starting to feel a lot of pain in my knees, which I'd never felt before. And then I was talking to some PT friends of mine and they were like, hero pose is one of the yeah. hardest poses because it's deep flexion and internal rotation. Of your knees. Yes. yes. Well, it's internal rotation of your thighs, which torques the inner part of your knee. Yes. Makes sense? Yep. So, um, uh, I st- so I stopped doing that pose for probably about five years and I just started bringing it back about a year ago when I was shooting these, uh, these other classes that I did. Um, and the reason being is I just wanted to give my knees a break. But I think, uh, but that being said, there there is an opening in, in the quadriceps in hero pose that you don't feel in anything else. So now how I generally teach it is that your knees stay hip with a part they don't touch. Mm-hmm. So that you're still um, honoring how wide your pelvis is yep. in terms of what's going on with your knees. It's a lot easier in your knees when you bring your knees in. It creates a deeper internal rotation of the thighs, which puts more torque in the knee. So hero pose now, generally when I do it, is your knees are hip width apart, or you can offer saddle pose, which is your knees out to the sides. Big toes come to touch, and you sit back on your heels so that you're doing deep flexion in the legs without internal or external rotation of the thighs. So it just protects it protects the inner and outer part of the knee. And what else? Because you've suggested another pose in lieu of hero pose. Yeah. So the other pose that I recommend for, because you'll always have, those of us who are teachers, you'll always have somebody in the room that is dealing with some kind of knee stuff, like knee, knee, neck, and lower back are like the three things that generally people are working with in some way, shape, or form. So um, lizard pose, which is essentially a lunge uh, with your hands on the ground, the inside of the front foot, and then back knee on the ground, and then you stay upright or lower forearms to block the ground. And what that does is it creates... Um, so the idea of hero pose, it's the quadricep and psoas opener, psoas being the hip flexor. So uh, lizard pose does all that without deep flexion in either of your knees, so it protects your knees. But definitely put padding underneath the back knee would be the one thing I would say. And just to kind of wrap this question up before we move on, so your feedback would be to assess the two different types of practitioners in the room and also for yourself, identify exactly. which you are. If you're the person who's hyper-flexible and needs more stability, more strengthening, or if you're the person who's tight and needs the lengthening, the space. Yeah, and so because of that, really listen to the cues that are being offered mm. as the practitioner. Like if you are somebody who's super mobile in your body and they say bend deeper into your front knee or something like that, you might be like, that one's not for me. Yeah. So you also want to start discerning, like, is this cue for my body, right? And then... And you can always explore it and then be like, what is the effect of this? And then make a decision based on that. But yeah, I would say the biggest thing is, yeah, listen and kind of observe what am I working with. And what advice would you give for teachers when they're queuing to the two different bodies? Oh man, that's a hard one. I've always, like, I have always had this vision that I'd like to have two different yoga classes, one for people who have stability and one for people who have mobility because the queuing is so different. And so, um, uh, I don't, I like, I still, I don't know what to say. Uh, The biggest thing is that you look around and then if you see anybody really going for it in a way that doesn't look stable, that you would go and talk to them and be like, hey, for you, I'd love you to actually draw in and up or, you know, give them and give them the why. I feel like that's very empowering for the students is like, why are we getting them to do this? We're doing this because you're very mobile in your pelvis or whatever it is. Right. That's, that's what I was hoping you would say. Okay. Because you bring that up in all, all the trainings I've done with you. You say give the why. So then people who are listening are like, that one's for me yeah. or it's not for me. Exactly. I don't need that. Yeah. yeah. So empower. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is another another big learning that I've had in my own, in my own body as well as teaching. Uh, the last one I'll say is that 
when I first started teaching my floor series, so the lunar part of class after you're in the peak pose and, and then the, the back bends, my lunar part of class, the cool down, used to be very extensive. I used to go through, because classically you go through um, twists, uh, hip openers, forward folds, inversion, and then shavasana, right? Um, what I realized is less is more uh, in everything in life, but specifically in the cool down series is now I usually only teach one or two, or I would say two to five poses, meaning right and left side, so really just two or three poses, um, and hold them for an extended period of time. And the reason being for that is the lunar part of class is to set people up to go into Shavasana, to go into deep relaxation. Mm -hmm. And so you want to take them out of what we call the... Um, the sympathetic system into the parasympathetic system. So meaning moving from fight or flight, meaning act, active into what we call rest and digest. And so I think the most effective way of doing that is actually doing less, but holding the poses for a lot longer because it gets people to, to take a, to take it down like five notches so that by the time hopefully they come into Shavasana, they feel very, very relaxed. And how I learned that is actually being in a class where we did you know, 15 poses in the floor series, but held them for like three to five breaths. And I actually started getting stressed out from how much movement we were doing. And so that was a great indicator for me that I was like, whoa, in my own body, I've noticed I actually need to move less, hold longer, be closer to the ground. Yeah. So that by the time I get to Shavasana, I'm pretty much like asleep. And I have a question coupling off of that. How you complement the body in the solar, the active part of class versus the lunar. So the muscles you're opening in the solar part, what are you doing with them in the lunar part of class? Mm -hmm. Great question. When we talk a lot about in, in the training, so that's why Steph's bringing yeah, it up. Good so job. Good. Um, so for those of us who are not teachers, I'll just say that uh, the kind of teaching, the style of teaching that I teach in vinyasa yoga is that we generally always have a peak pose, meaning a pose that we're working towards. And so everything that happens in the solar part of class, meaning the heating part of class, the warm up to the peak pose is opening up or strengthening the parts of the body that need to be prepared to do this peak pose. So talk about camel pose. Say that's our peak pose. Okay, well, I'm almost done. Okay, I'm gonna come back, sorry, but I love your style and I know where you're going. So, um, so that happens and then what happens in the lunar part of class is that whatever was strengthened, we lengthen in the solar part, in the lunar part of class. So we counter, we, so what we call a counter pose. And then the things that were um, lengthened, we would maybe shorten. So we would strengthen or, or kind of draw the muscles in. And the pose that I'm going to bring in, instead of camel pose that I'd like to talk about is Hanuman pose, which is splits, right? So in the splits with one leg forward and one leg back, known as Hanuman pose, right, it involves a lot of hamstring opening, yeah. right? You got to do a lot of hamstring being the back of the leg because your legs are literally spread apart and your inner thighs are also really need to be opened and also shortened a bit. So how I would counter that in the lunar part of class, which seems a little bit counterintuitive, is I'd actually strengthen the hamstrings. So I would do things like holding bridge pose and lifting one leg off the ground or something like that in order to shorten the muscle that we probably spent the last 25 to 30 minutes opening, right? And the idea of that is just kind of hopefully to come back to a semblance of, uh, of um, not a semblance. So how I'm thinking about it is think of the spectrum of your flexibility right, versus your stability, meaning how short the muscle can get and how long the muscle can get. And so you walk in and ideally we're somewhere in the middle and depending upon what our day was like in terms of that muscle, right? And so if I spend 25 minutes going to one side of the, of the pendulum, one side of the, uh, the balance sheet, let's say, 
of opening it, then I need to strengthen it yeah. to come back to, to the middle. So that's, that's the way that I like to think about it, which is a little bit different than I find uh, other classes. And so that's like the mindset that I'm going into in terms of the lunar part of class. And you, I feel more connected, complete, centered in a class that does that through the counter posing mm -hmm. where you're working towards one thing and then I like to think of it like you're closing the gate like you're saying you're coming back mm -hmm. to that mm -hmm. midpoint mm -hmm. versus a class where it's either all over the place or it's not complementary I've actually left classes feeling like just kind of out of sorts with myself where my body, I don't feel as grounded mm -hmm. or something feels too open. Like you feel like you've been blown open and then you're back in the world. Like this is way too much right now. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Vulnerable. Yeah. Vulnerable mm -hmm. is a yeah. good word. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to question number two. Uh, I would be interested in going further into the journaling question from the perspective of connecting to giving to myself rather than it just being a routine. I really want to practice self-care in a way that is nourishing and not just surface level. What do you think she means? Mm, I feel like this is a question around authenticity mm. and being present. So A, the journaling question in not just mimicking what everyone else is doing, because what's nourishing for me is going to be different than what's nourishing for you. And also going on autopilot, where now it's like brushing your teeth, where you're doing it because it's the end of the day and you ate food and it's this sequential order of events that you do without even thinking. Mm -hmm. Or if you've ever been driving and you're like, oh. <laughs> where am I? Here am I? <laughs> where How many times have I opened up the fridge and been like, what am I here for? Yeah. that's So that is the question here is how do I make self-care Nourishing, the surface level is, is what's interesting to me in this question because I don't think connecting to yourself is surface level if you have the self-awareness to ask if it's surface level. Okay. And I also feel, last comment on my end, um, that there's an element, and we talked about this in one of our podcasts, like you want to do something correctly because it's how spirituality is talked about so like I'm not gonna drink alcohol or I'm gonna get up every morning and meditate for an hour like this is the prescribed way of connecting to myself mm -hmm. but there is no prescription it's and that was the point of the 30-day challenge was to figure out when do I practice when do I feel best in my practice what do I need today on my mat keeping it in what we're doing but it's more about the introspection of this is where I feel like I'm connecting to myself. And also, just to, just to kind of uh, build on, on what you just said in terms of the 30-day challenge is also, and a lot of people made the comment on the, uh, in the discussion, is that realizing how effective and beneficial it is to show up to your mat regardless of how you feel. Yes. Because especially with home practice, you know, it's so easy to be like, I don't feel like doing it today, so I'm not going to do it. Yep. You know, and like, and then 15 days go by and you're like, oh, I haven't showed up to my mat or my meditation cushion in 15 days. And so part of the 30 day challenge is to show up regardless of how you feel and just whatever happens is what happens. Yep. Right. And but, you know, like what our the question is bringing up beautifully is there the shadow side of that is then sometimes it can literally become rote, meaning that you're not it's like something that's routine. You're not thinking about it. And so, yeah. so to build on that is, um, 
I, it makes me think of um, the Rig Veda, which is the oldest, uh, the oldest of the sacred texts of India. It's, I think it was written and around written down in about 2500 BC. Um, is they have the, there's this one stanza that talks about that if you just do mantra for the sake of doing it without any intention behind it, you might as well not do it. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's so cool that it was written that long ago, and I'm like, well, still very effective today. Yep, that, I understand completely, right? You don't want to just be doing, like they were talking specifically, it was mantra where they're talking about specifically about doing ritual, you know, a ritual just because that's what you're supposed to do, so you're just kind of moving through the, the gestures without really thinking about what it is that I'm doing, and I feel like this is what um, the question is bringing up is like, how do I do something not just for the sake of doing it, but to to have connection through it and, and you know, you brought it up perfectly, Steph, is like, how do I stay present when I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing? And I think that, at least for me, I think self-care, I think uh, sacred, sacredness in the mundane, both those things can happen in every single yeah. action that you do. Like, yeah. every action, I think, could be an action of self-care, meaning caring for myself in that moment, regardless of the action that I'm doing. That's why I find it so interesting that we're like, oh, self-care, like take a bath, go for a walk, all good things. I understand, like I'm, I, <laughs> I joke, but I also fully respect it. But in the same breath, I'm like, I can also do self-care while I'm washing the dishes. If I'm like feeling my feet and breathing into my hands or, you know, like every, we can take every opportunity to actually take care of ourselves. Um, we generally don't. I'm one of those people, I'm not trying to say uh, that I'm not, but I, I do try to strive towards like, we can make this, the sacred can show up in the mundane. Like you can ha be doing your practice with everything that you do, not necessarily every time you show up to the mat. So that's my feeling about it. Yours? Yeah, I just don't think that it needs to look any certain way. And that's something that I, I feel this really brought out, the 30-day challenge, because there I'm thinking of two days for myself, and I've done this in class, there was one day, full intention to show up, I fell asleep in Shavasana. Great. But that is self-care. And to me, that is being present because it's what my body needed. Yes. And then the other time... And I it means that the cool down was really good. Good job, Clara. Yeah, I was... I was <laughs> I'm just teasing. Oh, I was done. <laughs> and the other time... Um, and this one was interesting because the journaling question, either the day before or that day, was around listening, really listening mm -hmm. to what you need. So I'm doing yoga on the dock and two boaters come up and they, they interrupt me and they start talking to me. And immediately I got so mad because I was like, here I am doing my yoga practice, doing my self-care, I want to reflect, I want to enjoy the sun, I want to meditate, I want to finish stretching my thighs. But then there's this moment where I was like, well, maybe the listening is to these two oh. boaters. So I'm like, how can I pivot? How can I be flexible and adapt to the environment, not wanting to totally shut them out yes because that's rude yes. I'm on a public space yes. shared space so I listened to them and what ended up happening was really interesting one of the boaters knew my partner and there was this whole story that came out of it and then I finished my practice later no big deal like let it go <laughs> be open to new things yes but is that like surface level self-care because I wasn't in the intention 
that was set for the practice through the journaling, through staying. That would never happen in a public class because you're in it, in a room. There's no cell phone. There's no other people walking by. There are cell phones, and there are people walking by sometimes, depending. Ugh. You know, depending on the class. Totally. So but I'm, but I'm, I'm just thinking I'm of like... I'm poking you. I'm yeah. poking you. Yes, that's true. Generally, none of those two things. No, those Neither things those aren't things. happening. Yeah. So I think it's just moment to moment, recognizing what am I working with? What is my intention? And this is my work, I can be so rigid, like just open to what is going on around you. Yes. But I sway more to the side of overthinking, being rigid. So my practice is the opposite, Mm -hmm. is being more flexible and fluid. Someone Mm -hmm. who's more fluid and doesn't have as much discipline, maybe you're the person that's like, nobody, you got to go. Like go go to the other dock and talk to people. I need to stay in this. And I have friends like that who... Absolutely. Discipline is the practice. Yeah. And self-care is creating that boundary of being like, this is my time. Totally. Thank you and no thank you. Yes, exactly. So I think it just depends on intention is a great word to bring into it. And I don't think there is any superficial layer. I think as long as you're aware and you're asking those questions, you are going deeper because you have the awareness to ask the question. Right? Yeah. Well, and self-care... Like, what is self-care? Maybe let's hash that out a little bit. Yeah, so how I was defining it is caring, literally caring for yourself, which means awareness for yourself. And part of the awareness and taking care of yourself is setting boundaries around people, right? Being mindful of what's going on inside of you. And then also your intention of doing whatever it is that you're doing. That's what I would say. That's why I think like you, we, I feel like agree about this, like self-care can look many different ways. It doesn't have to be a bubble bath with a glass of wine. You know, it can be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a nature walk. Like self-care could be lying in bed and sleeping for an extra hour or, you know, like listening to music or dancing or whatever it is that takes care of yourself. And the other way that I like to, I would define it as like nourishing myself, like feeding myself. So I have a question for you then. Could self-care, is self-care a solo act or is it something? Mm, What a great question. What do you think? Well, I go both ways. I think (laughs) self-care is like self-soothing. Like if you think of Carvin where you're like, I want you to figure out how to self-soothe and chill without me. So I can kind of take some me time while you're doing you. Yes. So in that sense, self-care should be something that you can do by yourself to soothe, to hit, you know, come back to neutral. Self-soothe is a good one. We were just talking about my baby. That's That's why Steph's bringing it up. up. But yeah, self-soothing is a good one. I think self-care is self-soothing. But then, okay, okay. But you can can soothe with other people. That's my... But I feel like the intention would be that that I'm doing this to nourish myself. Because sometimes when we're around other people, we give... Right? And I think that self-care is receiving. And I think also the awareness in that I can self-soothe. I'm good without you. Mm -hmm. Like, we've all been in a situation, and maybe we've been that person where you can tell someone really needs you in that moment, Mm -hmm. where it's having the skills and the coping mechanisms. Like, okay, I got this. I'm feeling a lot of things right now. How can I de-escalate and come back to my neutral if I can't call my sister yes. or I'm not near someone that can help me in that minute. So yes. having things that you do yes. that are self-care yeah. for you. It, yeah. yeah. It's usually an action or a, um, an event. Yeah. Cause it's a demarcation of yeah. a, of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like we really got that one in. Yeah. 
Okay, next number, question, yes. number three. I'm interested in learning processes of more traditional practices, chakras, elements, a whole vocabulary. This is my first dabbling in a more holistic variety of yoga. At this point, I'm letting these things wash over me, accepting what we're taught in practice and resisting the urge to get too studious and dogmatic. I'm curious if there's a standard curriculum for yoga, or if it varies by type or by region, or what your individual paths were. Essentially, I think just the process of learning is fascinating. I loved this question. Yeah, so many things are in it. Yeah. yeah. You want to go first? You want me to go? You go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there is no curriculum. There is no curriculum to this practice, which I feel like can be mildly overwhelming because you're like, there's so many. Yeah. She brought up so many different concepts. So yeah. where do you go? And so what it does, it reminds me of when I was uh, just a practitioner not teaching yoga. And I remember feeling the same way. Like my teachers would quote poems or talk about a particular theme like chakras or whatever. And I had no idea. I felt like I knew it in passing, but not, uh, not in depth. And so what I found uh, really helpful was to ask my teachers about books that they read. Um, and then I, or, and, or like we have an amazing bookstore here in Vancouver called Banyan Books mm -hmm. that has like, you can, you could probably spend about 15 days there in a row. Uh, it's a beautiful, it's probably one of the coolest new age bookstores I've ever been to in my life. And, uh, kind of peruse and see what speaks to you. That's, I've actually done that quite a few times. It's like go and just kind of move, you know, like, yeah, peruse and, and see what color colors of books, generally it's the cover that gets me, or a title, and then read a little bit of it and then go home and buy the book and go home and read it. And so um, I was, at least from the point of view that from my father, how, who, I, who I grew up with, was like follow your nose in terms of what interests yeah. you. Um, there's no right or wrong way to learn, I feel like, about spirituality and, and concepts of the East. What I think is way more beneficial is move towards something that moves you. Yeah. And so if you hear a quote from somebody, like a, a, your teacher or wherever, you know, ask them where it's from and then get that book and read about it and or ask them for recommendations. You're like, I kind of want to learn more about chakras and then they'll give you a couple titles and you can go into that or take an online course or whatever. Um, and so... I would, the biggest thing I would say is just follow your nose. Yeah, I, I'm just, when you were speaking, I was thinking of my own process with the practice and I took my 200 hour just out of curiosity to, to learn the language of yoga and for my own reason of just wanting to perfect my own poses in my own time. So pure ego, that's okay. Got into it with you and Carolyn mm -hmm. and it was helpful to, to get all the book recommendations and then learn the history of the practice. You guys had us read, I think, the Jiva Mukti book by Sharon Gannon and David Life. Um, Heart of Yoga by Desika Char. God, yeah, I'm sure you could list all the books in that. <laughs> um, so that was cool because then you start getting a little bit of the, the history of the practice and then going to teachers and trying new things to just get a feel for what you like. And like Clara's saying, once you you know when you enjoy something and the, the path you want to go on. And it depends on, for me, it depends on the teacher and how they're presenting it. Because mm. I thought Kundalini was so frou-frou. I was like, what is this? This is way beyond anything I understand. 
But then I took a class with Sarah Jade at Dharma Temple, and she, the way she talked about it and presented it, I was like, man, I can get down with this. This mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Follow your nose and... and uh... Yeah, I would say one of the the best books to start with would be The Heart of Yoga by yeah. Desikachar Char because uh, he is the son of Krishnamacharya who is the forefather of yoga as we know it here in the West. And so at least for me, it's good to go back to the roots of the kind of yoga, every kind of yoga that we do here in the West pretty much um, comes from Krishnamacharya. So to me, that's why I get everybody to read in the 200 hour, the, the heart of yoga, or we get everybody to read the heart of yoga is so that, um, you can understand the roots of where we come from in terms of the, the, the lineage itself. And then I get everybody to read the, the Jiva Mukti book because I feel like it's, a it is a, a little, a little bit more accessible, but saying almost pretty much the same thing as the heart of yoga, just in a little bit of a different languaging. So I like those two books because, people will get different things out of them because literally the languaging is different. So that's why those two books are the ones that we usually recommend, but there is no, there is no right or wrong way. And there's, yeah, there's a ton of books, ton of books. Another book that comes to mind, you guys had us read was the Vanda Scaravelli book. I forget something about free the spine. Uh, yes what's it called oh that book is so beautiful I didn't get we didn't get you to read that in that you did that in intensive with me okay yeah that book is beautiful and it's oh what's it called it's not just yoga it's art yeah there's photos it's so it's so lovely and there's photos of nature and bodies and Egyptian hieroglyphs where it looks like they're doing wheel and triangle pose so there's tons of things you can start moving into and that book still I go to it for the quotes and the visuals and yeah, it's, it's not a beautiful book. but she's not even really expressing anything in terms of the philosophy or the religion it's more around the body and nature mm-hmm. so it just depends on the direction you are drawn to yeah yeah and keep going yes because it's so fun yes yeah yes and our 300 hour the book list was like so long 20 books yes yeah I love books okay next question last question all right I would like to know more about chanting how it affects the brain the science part where it originated and in which tradition and what Clara chants are your favorite okay I'm not a scientist so let's just start there so I'm going to tell you what I know and I'm going to tell you that I'm not a scientist so um, my understanding of the mantra, so specifically the mantras of India and the mantra specifically of Sanskrit. So Sanskrit, as with all language, right, it, 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 we're making, we're creating sounds and those sounds are affecting our body and our minds. We already know that, yeah. right? Um, so with Sanskrit specifically, they thought of how vibration affects the body. So that particular sounds they figured out affect particular parts of your body. And that's how they correlated a lot of um, the language and how they created essentially the, a lot of the mantras are what I like to call there. It's almost like a prescription for uh, a particular kind of effect in your body. And so the way that they put these particular sounds together is going to create a particular vibration, which is going to make you feel a particular way. The only science, I mean, there's probably a lot more science backed around this, but the one that I'll bring up is uh, Dr. Emoto, the Japanese doctor mm. who photographed water crystals. Right. So he photographed water water molecules and um, he did this test where he 
put water in, in bottles and then he spoke to them, he sang to them, he played particular music to them and then he took pictures of the water molecules afterwards, like after eight hours or ten hours of being exposed to um, language or sound or whatever. So there were, some, there, were some, there were some bottles of water that he sang to and said loving things to and the water molecules looked like snowflakes. And then he did other ones where he like cursed at them and was really angry at them and the water molecules look fract uh, look fractured? Frac fractal? No, sharp. Yeah, yeah they yeah. look they look fragmented. There we go. There we go. I was like, it's a frag something. Uh, they look fragmented. And so his whole theory around that is that we're made up of seventy five percent at least seventy five percent water, and so vibration really affects the way that we feel on a molecular level because there's so much water in us. It's so cool. Yeah. So that's all I can say, having not had a science background. Now, that being said, from an experiential point of view, I've definitely had some of most, my most transcendent experiences by doing mantra. Yeah. All of my teachers pretty much, mantra has been a part of my practice since pretty much the beginning. All of my teachers have done it. And so doing mantra for an extended period of time afterwards, I would feel a particular way. So I definitely believe that mantras have a prescription. Like they make you feel a certain way. Uh, in terms of the tradition of it, uh, what I know, and again, I'm, I'm also not a historian, so I'll do my best here, is that um, mantra has been around since the Rig Vedas, so 2500 BC, probably way before that, right? Um, India, as well as I think a lot of places, everything was done orally, right? Everything was passed down orally in terms of uh, traditions, in terms of rituals, that kind of thing. And pretty much all rituals were, were sung. So I think that it's been around forever. I think since we've started making noises that's not a scientific uh it's not a scientific perspective that's just a guess it's a hypothesis so um that's what i know what do i like about what are my favorite mantras i would definitely say the mahatma jaya mantra is probably my favorite which goes om triambakam yajamahe sukhanim bhushbarinam um we can put that yeah. We'll put that down in the write-up, maybe, if we can. And then the other mantra, which is the oldest, one of the oldest mantras of India, would be the Gayatri mantra, um, which is in the Rig Vedas. And I love that mantra. So those two mantras are probably my favorite. And then I also love the Ganesha Om Gan Ganapataye Namaha mantra. I love the way it feels in my mouth. I love the effect it has on my body and on my mind. I really love mantra. And then the last mantra I love is the Asatoma Satgamaya uh, mantra, which is part of a longer invocation, and maybe we can put all of those. Yeah. Uh, we'll put all those in the write-up so that you'll have them. And uh, the way that I even tell people who are new to singing mantra, especially in Sanskrit, is uh, just think of the way that your favorite song makes you feel. Yeah. Right? It's a, it is a particular vibration that comes to, that is put together that creates a particular feeling in your body. And that's the effect of nada, that's the effect of sound, right? And there's many, there's many traditions that just use sound, that just use mantra, like bhakti yoga, yogis yeah. are generally, their practice is to just sing, right? They sing to God. Favorite mantras, Steph? Oh, the Triambakam mantra. And I watched The Matrix again. I shared this with oh, you yeah. recently. And the last, the third um, Matrix in the trilogy ends with the Triumbicum mantra, and it blew my mind, because I haven't seen The Matrix in like 10 years, maybe? So that just, that was so cool, to now have the awareness and knowledge of mantra from all the yoga, mm -hmm. and to make that recognition, and I love The Matrix, it's like one of my favorite trilogies. Um, 
and I'm going to share a story that I meant to tell you and I, I forgot. So midway through the challenge, on day 19, you drop the Ganesha mantra, which in Ganesha is the remover of obstacles. So on day 18, my mom was sitting with a difficult decision and she didn't know what way to go. Mm. And she called me so many times that day asking for advice. And I would be like, mom, I'm not making this decision for you. Still talking to her, but also kind of like, okay, Deb, figure it, like figure this out. But she also hadn't done the practice that day. And she was like nervous and she's like, oh, I'm avoiding my mat because I don't want to sit with this decision yes. and all these things. So um, anyway, evening comes, my mom phones me again. And part of me was like, I do not want to answer this phone call because I'd been counseling my mother with this choice all day and didn't really know what to expect. So I answer the phone and she's like, I did today's practice. I loved it. And she's talking about the mantra. And she's like, I know she made her decision. She had called the person. All these things had shifted in the like four hours we hadn't spoken. But she'd done the wrong day. <laughs> it was, but it was so wonderful. It was, perfect. it was perfect. It was what needed to happen. And I told her and we had a really good laugh. But um, like, how cool is that? Because yeah. I don't think the movement practice would have shifted what needed to move for her. Yes. But she sat with the Ganesha mantra and did it and loved it. She had this whole experience she shared with me. So that's the power of mantra right yes. there. That you don't, you don't necessarily feel through the movement. Yeah. Beautiful. Wonderful way to end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll let you go. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. us uh, for today's podcast, Steph. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. And those of you that uh, are finishing up the challenge, I think tomorrow is our last day, right? Our last official day. Way to go. Good job. We'll be sending you a survey in the next 24 hours. We'd love you to fill it out. And if you fill out the survey, then you'll be entered into our uh, raffle. And I just wanted to thank again Half Moon for offering um, some yoga props, Supported Soul, an amazing yoga mat company that's offering a mat, um, Joy Masks, who is a dear friend of ours who's also doing the uh, practice. She's offering some, some, uh, some face masks. And Megan, who's offering some uh, memberships to the site, as well as we're offering some. So if you haven't already, definitely fill out this. Or when you see the survey come in through your inbox, go ahead and fill it out. And we'll be, um, we'll be doing the, uh, the raffle uh, on IG. We'll post what time exactly on IG Live. And if you haven't seen uh, the coupon codes, the coupon codes yes. for all of the sponsors are still live until the end of the challenge. And there's 15 to 30% off the products. If you want to go look at the uh, event page on the website and use the coupon codes, I haven't yet, but I keep meaning to. So you have two days. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. You, and everyone. we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Practice with Clara app. That's mine. I've created almost 100 yoga classes for you to do at home or on the go. And they're available to you on your favorite device, including mobile, desktop, and TV. These classes include vinyasa, slow flow, hatha, restorative, yin, mantra, meditation. I also just had a baby, so I created prenatal yoga for all four trimesters. So head over to clararobertsoss.com slash join to learn more. Or search for the Practice with Clara app at your favorite app store. There's a seven-day free trial, so no commitment. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of good stuff in store for you. Until next time, namaste.